Welcome to Retro Perspective, a video game podcast that takes a look at long-running franchises one game at a time. This season, we're exploring Nintendo's fame IP, The Legend of Zelda. In each episode, we'll highlight a different console entry in the series, starting with the 1986 classic all the way through Breath of the Wild. We know what to expect from Zelda, a boy with a green hat, some MacGuffins to find, and a people doomed to repeat history. But what else ties this series together? I'm Carly. And I'm Kyler. Let's find out. It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. Those are the iconic words that greet you in a cave on the first screen of The Legend of Zelda. That you start outside the cave is emblematic of the game going forward. Choices are always before you. Walls to be bombed, keys to be used, rubies to spend. The game challenges you to puzzle it out in a way that can feel archaic some 30 years after its release, but it has a way of acclimating you to its rhythms and solutions. Its story is largely reduced to the accompanying manual. You play as a hero named Link, who is tasked with gathering shards of a divine power known as the Triforce in order to defeat the evil Ganon and save the titular Princess Zelda. But another story unfolds in the encounters you have between the title screen and the end credits. Journeying to find your next dungeon, only to discover you've stumbled on level 5 instead of level 2. Fighting through a boss while you cling to your last half of a heart. The Legend of Zelda is a simple game, especially by modern standards. You can listen to the entirety of its soundtrack in less than 10 minutes. Only seven people are listed in the credits. Developed concurrently with Super Mario Bros., Zelda was a deliberate departure in design philosophy. It prioritized open-ended, non-linear progression. A world instead of a level. Now you would encounter a level 1, 2, 3, and so on. But first, you'd have to find them yourself. Such freedom was revolutionary at the time. And you would argue it's revolutionary now, too. So Kyler, first things first. How do we like the game? Does it hold up? I think it holds up exceptionally well. I, I'm i honestly surprised as to how well it's stood the test of time. I think it was easy to look, especially from playing it maybe a couple years back on my 3DS in particular, to be like, oh, you know, this is still a really good game, but to replay it again kind of intentionally, I, I almost kind of like, I really bought into what the game was, like kind of the mentality the game was trying to get me into to really just take risks, explore, and just kind of, kind of get enveloped in the mystery of like the land of Hyrule itself. And I was just, I was surprised how, just how immersive it is. You know, we get caught up so much in kind of the, like the technical prowess of games today. Um, and so much, so much of like conveyance and theming and immersion, I think comes more from how the game frames itself and how all the elements come together to really pull you into that. Um, and in, in that sense, Zelda, like you know, the original Legend of Zelda feels really understated and i think that's why it just felt so it felt so surprising yeah i feel a lot of the same things we both played it on nintendo switch online um the first time i played this i played it off and on on like various things like the gamecube with like the collector's edition they had um and all that stuff and i finally gave it like a fair shake right before breath of the wild came out because there was all this discussion of how that game had influenced that one uh which we'll talk about you know 15 episodes from now. Um, But I definitely, I had this feeling when I opened it up that it was going to be a chore. And I, even though I really enjoyed that playthrough, I felt that way this time where I was like, okay, it's time to play this game. And it was like, once I get to like the second or third dungeon, like I kind of just get lost in it a little bit. Like it's not a game that I'm going to try to replay like for the rest of my life, I guess, because I, 
it's very light on its story. But every time I do go to play it, I definitely feel like it's a really rewarding experience. Like, if you can give it the fair shake and not get too upset at how often you're going to die at the beginning, then it's definitely it's definitely a game that teaches you how to play it. You will get better over the course of the game. You get a lot stronger over the course of the game. And I think like anytime I really got stuck on something, I did use a guide a couple of times. But honestly, I, I could have not if I had just sought out more information because the game does tell you its secrets. You just have to find the right people. But I think for the most part, the best way to play it is to just go in blind and just like keep playing it and keep playing it. And eventually it gets to that point where like it's just really fun to go around and kill Octoroks, which for a game made 30 years ago, it's really a testament that it's fun to just run around in the overworld and kill stuff and collect rupees and go find things. Like I think that anytime I see an enemy in this game, I like want to destroy it. (laughs) I have a lot of fun. Like the combat is really simple, but I have a lot of fun and it feels really surprisingly engaging for sure it's it's still every time i fight a dark nut i feel like a wizard <laughs> every time i f- fight a wizrobe i feel like an idiot <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know that it seems like a dumb comparison because it gets pulled up all the time but and i and i personally haven't played it myself um but especially when i for what i hear so much about dark souls i think that like Dark Souls, more than anything, seems more like a capturing of that original mentality because games, in that sense, used to be fairly punishing. Not not like in, some games are insanely punishing, and we'll get to that. But the original Legend of Zelda will definitely punish you for your failure, but there, there are a lot of... The game also gives you many opportunities to kind of stack the odds in your favor. And I think it plays such a huge part into what makes you so curious is because you know looking out there is going to be for your benefit. Even if going into the overworld early in the game can feel like a frightening endeavor where you're just never really sure what kind of encounter you're going to run into and uh, will possibly end up dead sooner than expected uh, early on. Um, but, you know, there, there are a lot of secrets. And I was I was really surprised by just, like, how intuitive it was. Some part of it has to go with our history of playing Zelda for years. But, it, you know, the original Legend of Zelda is still a very, uh, you know, very different game in that regard compared to uh, what's, you know, what's to come later on. And so... Um, even just throughout dungeons, throughout the overworld, if I just was like, oh, I feel like, you know, there could be a bombable wall here, um, or a burning, you know, bush you can burn here, uh, at least in regards to the first quest we're talking about, um, it, you know, generally, uh, the logic, you know, it pieced together, uh, better than I expected, uh, for the most part. So just, you know, being able to go out into the world and just kind of, you know, just have your curiosity lead you on. I think played a really big part in just the enjoyment of this game and what got me hooked once, you know, once you get a little bit of the ways in, you have some, you have some equipment to work with. Yeah, I think definitely one of the things for me is that I go in and out of dungeons, like the underworld, as the game calls it, and the overworld. I go through them a lot. Like, I'll start a dungeon, I'll use like my potions or whatever, I'll get beaten down or I'll be cheap and not want to use my potion and get beaten down. So then I'll leave and I'll go to a fairy's fountain or something and heal back up, especially later in the game where, you know, you have way more hearts. So dying has a little bit more of a penalty and it doesn't bother me. They feel very connected in that way. It's really easy to get in and out of things like it's easy um, to like move on to different dungeons like you could just flat out stop playing one and go to a different one as long as you have the things that you need. Um, So I think that 
that's one of like the really nice things about the game. There isn't a lot of resistance and the world feels really connected in that way that it feels more of like a dungeon track versus like, all right, time to do this very segmented part of a game. There's very little resistance between you getting in and out of places. And it's sometimes it's as fun to fight through a dungeon as it is to fight your way out to go get more resources. So I think that that part of it is a lot of fun. I like it wasn't until I played this game for the first time that I actually liked Zelda Dungeons much at all. Like my history with the series is more in the 3D games. So when I would play them, I would kind of like I loved all the exploration. I loved all the bits between. I loved talking to people and doing that kind of stuff. And every time I got to a dungeon, I was like, all right, here we go, because it was just a very segmented different part of the game. And when I finally played this game, I was shocked because the thing that I enjoyed most about the game was going and finding the dungeons and the dungeons, instead of feeling like this chore that I had to do, they felt like their own reward. And so that was just something that like really captivates me with the game is that I can just kind of play it and there there's it just lets me play it. And I like that. Let's move on to kind of just discussing the story, how this game implements its story. Do we feel like it works? What do you think, Kyler? It's uh, it's an early NES game. Uh, so in a lot of ways, there's as far as what's presented, there's there's not a whole lot to be said, and that's okay. They were mostly they were just framing devices to give you the player motivation. It was what worked back in the day because I don't. That's really that will having to put out a lot of text i don't think was uh something they could afford to do and and in just regards to, they they really had to they had to lean on the gameplay a lot in order to kind of convey what they were going for and instance in that sense the story it serves its purpose and it does exactly what it needs to and then the, the gameplay simply opens up for you to you know in order to convey effectively its theme to you that sense of you know exploring a wild world where you know ganon's you know, currently got his hold on it, and you, you can you can feel that everywhere because literally every screen, you know, is is fraught with danger, in that sense. Um, even just the difference of going into the field, into the you know, into a dungeon, you don't you don't feel any more safer for it at all, having gone underground. So in that sense, it's always a fight to survive. Kind of getting a good sense of your you know, getting getting your bearings set in wherever you're at on the overworld, and being like, okay, I'm all right around here, but if I start heading like further west. Or northwest into the mountains or something like that i'm going to be in you know i'm going to be in serious trouble or i'm going to be fighting an uphill battle even just even just that aspect of the game does so much to convey its story to the player in the sense it almost feels like you're kind of going not going rogue per se but kind of really you know sneaking around in order to gain every single possible advantage you can against the enemy in that sense yeah, that's it's a it's an apocalypse. I mean, the the game does a lot to communicate whether or not through just not being able to build towns or whatnot. But what is there is that it's it feels like a very apocalyptic place. There's maybe only a few screens in the game that don't have enemies in them. I guess like probably like the fairies fountains and the first screen of the game. That's about it. It's definitely a place that's been taken over by this evil. It is a place that is very hostile to the player. I think like I think the thing that I do appreciate about this game's story is the character of Link himself. Um, I think like my memories of a lot of older games, especially kind of like some of those older like Sega games and whatnot and stuff that would come out a little bit later, is so many of these heroes are like just like weird buff dudes, like yeah. fighting their way through like just like zombies and stuff like that. 
Um, and it's like very like very hyper masculine. So I do appreciate that they created like this young hero. The art in the game manual is like it's very cute. It's very um, I don't know. It's very sweet. And I think that you definitely feel more like an explorer than like a death machine in this game. Um, though you can become a bit of a death machine. And I really appreciate that. I think that that might be, I don't know, one of the reasons why the character has kind of stuck um, is because it feels, you know, it feels more like childhood in a way. It feels more like a child's fantasy than a traditional power fantasy of going on and taking a world and like, you know, going outside with a stick in hand and feeling like you can do anything. Yeah, definitely. Something I've always liked and I always wished was pretty much in every single Zelda game, but sometimes always isn't. It's just kind of like that theme of uh, growth that's presented in, uh, it's in, it's in the visual presentation mainly, but like even just the way you see your inventory slowly build up piece by piece, you know, the way that you pick up the blue ring and your outfit completely changes. And then you, in the very final dungeon, you pick up the red ring and your outfit and your, you know, color palette changes again one more time. It, uh, it kind of strikes after what metroid was originally getting at but i think did it in a much more successful way i think in large part because there's just, there's so much there's so much stuff to accrue to really uh build link up i've always really liked that aspect of that you change so much of your your appearance from the dainty you know green cloth wearing boy with a tiny shield and no sword to you know this magical sword a huge shield uh red outfit and like two rows of hearts <laughs> They yeah, just... that's so interesting. I actually didn't. I knew. I remember like the the tunic changes and stuff, but I totally forgot that like even like your shield is bigger, your sword is different, and so like your character looks like, you know, r pretty decently different. I think like definitely different enough that if you were, if you were playing this game like back in the day and you went over to your friend's house and you saw like you had just started the game and then you saw like them running around with like their like ready to go into level nine link or like their upgraded link, you'd be like, oh my gosh, like how do you get these things and whatnot? Um, and there's definitely that sense of progression. And it's a different story than like something like Metroid because a lot of Metroid games are based on the idea that your character is like, you know, this super badass who then loses all of her power-ups and then you have to go get them again. Whereas Legend of Zelda starts out and you're a child and you have to grow up. And I think that that's, you know, yeah. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> so the presentation of the game, I mean, I think the way the game looks is it's it's from 1986. It looks like it's from 1986. It's an early it's an early NES game. It's simple but it's effective and it's never annoying. And I think that like that is kind of a prime accomplishment for it in some ways. I think I mean, I love the I love the opening intro, which so a little bit of background, we don't get into a ton of background on here, but Koji Kondo originally wanted to use uh, Ravel's Bolero as the intro. He had written the overworld theme, so that wasn't going to change. But the actual like opening intro was going to be Bolero. This is what Bolero sounds like. Yeah, I mean, this is personal for me. I just really hate that piece. I've had to perform it before and I've never liked it. 
So just thank God that that didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> I think what we got was much, much better. Um, granted, it's a remix, so it's not like the Legend of Zelda theme that we all know would have been Bolero, but... <sighs> yeah. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely think it worked out in our favor for that, especially just because I think Kondo had been able to prove himself in Super Mario Brothers uh, and probably other miscellaneous titles that I'm not immediately familiar with as far as his track record goes but um it's just he he's been known for just being able to do so much with so little in that respect and uh i mean come on the main the main theme is legendary to say the least uh, yeah <laughs> just to just to play off of that um it's it's so good it's so good and yet um even with this change in epic scope the even the credits theme is uh like other works of you know from the nes and super nintendo game uh days um you know he's he just i don't know what if he just is an obligation or he just loves doing it but his credit themes are always always got a great swinging beat to him so as far when it comes to sound it's uh it's definitely masterful sound design itself is is top notch you know everything's crisp sounding um hits sound great feels great to hit stuff which is uh, sounds basic in its own premise, but it's it is really important. I um, really, really like how uh, anytime you get close to like a mon, like get close to like a boss's lair, you start to hear like. <laughs> granted, it doesn't matter what kind of monster it is; it's always like kind of like this dragon, like sounding yell through the walls. And I don't know. I think it's like for what they were able to do, it's a great little bit of like one. It rewards the player and it lets you know you're getting close. But also tonally, it's really interesting, and it, hearing that sound always has me. It's a little bit of like it, it pumps up your heartbeat a little bit, and you get ready to take on whatever threat and figuring out whatever is going to be in this room when you get there. And I think that the little bits of sound design they were able to do, I think that that was a really, really good addition. I'm so glad they did that. Yeah, um, I didn't get to comment on the graphic design myself, but um, I'll definitely affirm what you've been saying about that as well in regards to just it's it's clearly communicated it's there's a there's a lot of diversity and as far as the enemy design goes in this game and you really you really never will mistake one enemy for another when it comes to you know projectiles being fired around and everything like that it's there's practically no issues with blending in it's again this all sounds like a simple thing like, like an execution but you'd be surprised if you start if you have nintendo switch online go start playing just some of the other games on there and like you know, a lot of tiles are pretty good, but some of that stuff is, it's, it's clearly early stuff where just the, like the, even the importance of contrast and in, in colors and everything was not well thought out. And it's just, it's just not, it's a non-issue in this game. Everything in regards to that, it's, I've never thought about it except when I had to consider what was put into the art direction. And it's just, it does the job. It's just fine. It is an early NES game in the sense that like compared to later games like Super Mario Brothers 3 or River City Ransom, which are far more animated. Uh, have you know better usage of color um, for the most part, or I wouldn't say better usage of color, um, but maybe a bit more variance. The sprite work has these kind of clean outlines that better reflect the artwork. Um, you know, original Legend of Zelda looks kind of goofy in that respect, but it you know it it gets the job done, uh, and that's which is the most important part of it. Yeah, I would say that's something that's kind of a through line for this game. Which, yeah, if you go back and play some older games, even some SNES games, it's a small achievement for a game to work and for the things it says do 
to do what they actually are said to do. Um, and so that's something about this game, and I think it's why it holds up, is that it's functional. It It's it's clear. It doesn't scam you. Like, you're not going to really run into any bugs. Like, it's a very clean experience. And I think, like, I would describe a lot of aspects of the game. Um, I think, like, my biggest issue with the look of the game are probably just the tile sets. I just don't, I don't really care for the tile sets. It's a lot of tan. The trees, uh, like, I don't, in that first screen, I don't know if those are green rocks. I don't know if they're trees. It's a little weird. When you get more into the forests and it's, they're clearly like tree sprites, I kind of understand what's going on. But that first area, I'm not really sure what it is. Yeah. Um, I do like the fire though. The fire's good. But the enemy designs and like the sprite work itself, I think is pretty iconic um, is how I would describe it. Those enemy designs, I mean, part of it is that Nintendo is going to iterate on them over years and years and years and drive them into our memories. But I think, you know, like you see, you see clearly designed monsters. They're not purely based off of like fantasy creatures that already exist. And they also aren't based on say a lot of animals. Um, they really do create something unique and something that if created directly according to like those those uh renderings they have in the manual would be really terrifying yeah yeah <laughs> octoroks are kind of funny and then you see a picture of them and they're really scary yeah they're freaky so that, that contrast uh when you mentioned uh kind of the cute the cute official artwork for for link um there's I remember there being, there's almost like two different art styles that show up from, I don't know if it's like in the American manual and the Japanese manual. Cause there's one that looks like clearly like an, like an eighties anime look for him. And then there's one where like, this is like cute chibi look for him too. And like in, in the artwork, it's, it's adorable. And then you look at the monster designs, you're just like, what abominations are these? I know. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Also, wow, I, I took a deep dive into the manual for this game, you know, to educate myself. And I, one, I miss game manuals. I understand why we don't do it, because you can Google everything. There's a lot in that. There's stuff that I looked up on a guide um, or had to research or got stuck. It took me, it always takes me forever to find level two. I always forget where it is um, moving through that forest. And the game manual is like, here you go. It's actually very kind to you, surprisingly. It's not archaic at all. It's it's pretty straightforward. And part of this is from, you know, playing it as I did. Um, I'm, I created save states, but I never used them. I just they just gave me a little peace of mind. But I wasn't going back to the opening screen of this, which if you played it on the NES, you would way more often because you would have to shut down your console and then open it up. So you'd have a lot more of an opportunity to listen to the intro music and then also look at that big item list. But the game shows you every item that's going to be in the game. If I had spent more time looking at that, I probably wouldn't have missed like three items on my first playthrough. So there's certain things where I didn't know where things were, and that was because I wasn't using all the resources that the game gave me. But definitely when it came out, I think it I think it's pretty fair. Except for Second Quest. Neither of us played Second Quest, because there are aspects of this game that can feel a little obscure of like, oh, which tree do I have to light on fire to find this heart piece? Like, that's never much fun. I mean, it might be fun for some people. I don't really get a huge kick out of like hunting for all the hidden rupee spots that I used a guide for that to find rupees because I just I just don't have a lot of patience for that. Um, in my limited experience with Second Quest, is it 
just fills the game with a little, like so much more of that. And I was like, I don't, I would like to play the different dungeons because I will, I, you can ramp up the challenge on the dungeons on me and make them really stupid. I don't care. But I was like getting lost searching for them over and over again. It is not really my speed. Yeah. So in later episodes, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about how each game in the series builds on each other. We're really limiting ourselves to not talk about games in the future because we don't want to kill the discussion about those games. We're really trying to talk about the games in context of when they were released and what came before them and not focusing too much on what came after. So this first episode, we're going to spend a little bit of time kind of discussing the identity of the series, the kind of baseline that we're going to judge other games in this series on, on how they improve upon this formula, how they differ from it, what the Legend of Zelda series really is at its core. Uh, so we're going to talk, you know, we're going to take a deeper dive into the gameplay and a lot of the design decisions in this game. So I guess at, you know, the most like simple and archaic stage of this game, what is the Legend of Zelda series? Uh, the evil Ganon, who is this pig monster guy, captured Princess Zelda because basically she was trying to seal the monsters away. And so, you know, you, Link, the only person that Impa could find who was brave enough to fend off his minions, you are, you know, sent off on this quest to then recover the shards of the Triforce of Wisdom. And then with it, you can then gain access, you know, into uh, Spectacle Rock, the, the final dungeon, and then defeat Ganon and then recover the uh, Triforce of Power. I do think it's interesting that you mention, like, bravery. And courage is something that will come up in this series a lot, and it's a real core theme of it. Um, but I think that the little bit that you get from the story, you're the hero of Hyrule, not because you're stronger than everybody else and, like, you're the coolest guy in the land, but it's that you have the bravery to go after these things. And I think that that's a really interesting and kind of kind-hearted way to give the player agency. Um, it allows you to grow and allows you to be weak at first, but you have to continue and persist and not give up and not allow Ganon to win purely because of your drive and your bravery. And I think that that's something that's really cool and encourages you to grow stronger. But that strength isn't truly what Link's asset is. Definitely. I think it just being kind of defined by those major themes and then being conveyed through the gameplay i think is a large part of which give this game definition and then it's the mystery of then exploring the world on top of that require you know recovering these mysterious relics and you're like what even is the triforce at the end of the day um and who the heck is ganon and if zelda's the princess of a kingdom then where uh then where is the kingdom <laughs> and everything and so you know they're just details that are that are placed there just to just to frame the game but they you know as said in the story section it, you know all of it all, it, all of it does its job uh, certainly very, very well in that regard. Yeah, I think it's neat. You know, it is a traditional save the princess sort of story. But even in this earliest entry, you know, Zelda is the one responsible for splitting up, you know, the Triforce of Wisdom. And it isn't like this just random encounter where she happens to be kidnapped. But she, you know, even though you need to help her, you know, and this is something, a theme that will kind of carry throughout the series where... You know, Zelda is like kind of laying breadcrumbs for you to go on a quest uh, and something has happened. And now 
some hero needs to come in and redeem Hyrule, but it's not, you know, she's kind of always there and she always is playing a crucial part in the story. I think, I mean, the, the idea of the adventure game has been, I would say, I would say that like this Zelda specifically is very much an open world game. It's, you know, it's very, it's, it sets up that precedent. The first screen of the game, I think, tells you a lot about the game's design. Um, a lot of video games, especially at this time, and a lot of two-dimensional video games give you a decision that's usually left or right. This game gives you four decisions you can make at the very first screen. So there's a cave. You could go into the cave. You could go left. You could go right. You could go up. And most everyone will probably go into the cave because you're wondering, well, what is that? And you'll get a sword. But you don't have to get a sword. And I think that that's... That really boils down this game and the philosophy of this original game is that there's a lot of things that you can get, but there's a lot of stuff that you don't have to get. And that's great. There's barely any scripted stuff. The controller is never really taken away from you, uh, except for when you pick up the Triforce. That's literally like the only time that you just like can't control Link. Um, so you have a lot of freedom in that regard. The game... The game can be really different every time you play it, and the game can be really different for different people. Um, there's stuff on this play, like on our playthroughs, where Kyler got stuff, and I was I was struggling in the final dungeon because I ran out of keys, and I'm going through all these things, and I can't find any keys, and I'm like, what do I do? So I go out and I bought a key, and I got a little bit further, and then I got into a room that had three locked doors, and I had zero keys, and I was like losing my mind. And I was telling Kyler about it, and he was like, well, don't you have the Lion Key? And I was like, oh my gosh, I completely forgot about the Lion Key. Where is the Lion Key? Oh, it's in level eight. So then I go back to level eight, went on this whole thing, needed to go buy another key because I'd used all my keys and I couldn't get any more in level eight. And then I finally got the Lion Key. And, you know, and, and there were like two other items that I missed after I beat Ganon that then he told me about. So then I played the game a second time really quickly and I knew all of these things and I knew where to go. And I played all the dungeons in a completely different order. I played level eight as like my fifth dungeon or like my fourth dungeon or something. And I got the lion key super early. Um, and it was just a completely different experience. I died probably my first playthrough. It's buried on my 3DS somewhere. My death count had to have been 50 plus. It might have been triple digits. I don't remember. I remember looking at the number and going, oh, what is that? And just being <laughs> a little horrified. So my second playthrough that I've ever done, uh, I had 37 deaths. Then I played it again and I beat it really quickly and I had eight deaths. So uh, Kyler, when he started playing it, he was getting, he told me he was frustrated and he was like, oh, you know, like, I can't, you know, I've died on the way to the first dungeon. And I was like, I died like 10 times on the way to the first dungeon. I went all over the place. <laughs> like I, I died so many times, but you know, it's, I was okay with it. It doesn't bother me. I don't know. It's part of like, I like fighting to my last breath and then going, well, that's cool. I got the dungeon map <laughs> and just <laughs> yeah. calling it a day and going and doing something else and coming back to it. It's fun. Yeah. It felt like there were a lot of like checkpoints in that regard where it's like it, because navigating the map even with the challenges it entails it, like it's it's still a very quick process to get to where you want to go 
like as sprawling as it is and as confusing as it can be initially, there are a lot of clear landmarks in that sense. Um, and so as you start, you know, when you start coming upon things, you're like, oh, I can't afford that right now. Or, oh, I can't get this sword right now. There are things that stick out in your mind that you really won't forget as long as you remember, you know, as much as that gray blob of a map feels un like, you know, an unhelpful in terms of like the clarity of information given, you know generally where that space occupies and the places are very thematically separated but in different ways, whether it's by certain barriers that you have to have knowledge or items to cross or if it's just a, uh, you know, like you have the graveyard in the west past the Lost Woods, which you can also access uh, using the ladder from, I believe, uh, level four. You know, all these things play a big part in just how you get around and they, they, they help cohesively kind of bring the map more and more closer together. Um, and then, you know, later on you pick up the flute and, or sorry, the recorder, I guess, whatever, whatever it wants to go by, I don't know. They change it so many times. Uh, and then later find the uh, power bracelet hidden on the world map uh, you know, you end up finding ways to quickly navigate around the map that make it become very intimate and familiar to you in that sense. Um, you know, a lot of my early frustration was being like, you know, I, I had some degree of familiarity with the game. I, you know, we, we deliberately, for the most part, tried to not, we, you know, didn't use a guide at all. I think the only place I used it was, uh, level eight because it was the, probably the only place in the game that there was two arbitrary places to bomb, whereas everything else felt very intuitive the way it was laid out as far as where to bomb. Everything else in the game, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to kind of count on my memory and I'm going to kind of count on a little bit of intuition. And I was surprised how much one that I remembered. And I think I, this sounds strange, but I have a uh, Hyrule Warriors to thank for that because the adventure map actually has, you know, apart from whatever new items they introduce, all the secrets are in exactly the same place as the original game on that adventure map. But even, even considering that, I, I found very few of the actual like bombable walls that had a lot of the rupees hidden away in them. I had mostly I had a lot of good luck finding rupees with my drops more than anything. But as far as finding like the, the heart containers in particular, all of that remained, you know, surprisingly intuitive spare for like, I think one different instance of bush burning that was strange. Uh, most of it was, you know, I was surprised by just how straightforward it was, how intuitive it was. And um, it was continually, as I progressed through the game, continually finding the opportunities to try to get out and look around a bit more and, be, and find ways to help me kind of stack the odds against my enemies that then I really started to get hooked in the game in the sense that like even though it's non-linear the game still does a very very good job of continually ramping the challenges in the dungeons while still you know as it's providing more and more access to you in the overworld uh you know enemies are still getting more difficult but it's not in some kind of arbitrary way where it's like dumb level cap nonsense or anything anything that's not like the Nothing feels arbitrary in the way that the game limits you. Uh, a lot of most of the the roadblocks are usually just they're they're knowledge based. The you know the old men in dungeons will often provide you uh, hints that are directly related to finding the very next dungeon. Often they're saying like, "Hey, you should check out that uh, the old, you should see the old man at the top of the waterfall who will then give you the white sword." Or, "Hey, uh, use um, you know go behind the waterfall of which I believe there's only one location in the game where there's a waterfall coming down, uh, who then that leads you to the old lady who I believe gives you the um, basically the code for getting through Lost Woods." Yeah, it's and, either Lost Woods or how to get through to the fifth dungeon. It's either one of those. Yes, yes, I believe that's it's either level it's either level six or level five. Yeah. Uh, beyond there, so. Um, it's just I don't know. It, it, there's a there's a very freeform nature to it that feels like, especially on a repeat playthrough, that it's just like ah, now that I know, 
I'm I'm going to do everything in my power to to become strong as soon as possible. And that's because you, the player, now have the knowledge necessary to make it happen. And it's oh, it's yeah, it's cathartic. And it can vastly change your experience. My first playthrough, my hardest dungeon is probably level three because it's the first time that you have to fight darkness. And I don't think I really had gone looking for any heart containers. I hadn't really, I kept forgetting what the blue ring did. I was like, oh, is that the power bracelet? And it's like, no, that's a tunic upgrade. I should have gotten that away sooner. So I went into level three with the base sword and the base tunic. And uh, it was very hard. (laughs) I died a lot. Um, It was definitely one of the most difficult things. But it wasn't the game being unfair because I, though all those things are available to you pretty early on. And if you go out looking for them or if you're like, oh my gosh, this just feels way too hard. I should go do something else. There is going to be like some way to power yourself up, which I think is, and again, it's that ability to like go into a dungeon and get somewhere and find a challenge or something that you don't have. And it doesn't really feel to me like a huge backtrack to go find something else or go move on. You know, it's kind of all feels free form because you can kind of go where you want to go. It 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 feels really connected to me in that way. It doesn't feel like a slog. There isn't really and there isn't really a rhythm to the dungeons, which I think it makes them they don't stay in your memory as much. I think like even, you know, I played the second game. I played it another time pretty much consecutively. And there were still like parts of dungeons that I struggled with or parts of dungeons that I got confused in that I had really figured out the first time because it's a little tricky. You know, I I didn't hardcore memorize their layouts or anything. And because it's all the same rectangular screen, it's a lot harder for it to stick out in your memory. But I don't really think that that's a flaw of the game. I think that it's kind of fun to run around in those dungeons. At least I feel that way. And it's kind of nice to have the game take away your little bit of muscle memory and that little bit of just like, oh, I'm just gonna go through and do all of these things. The overworld can kind of become that, but like the dungeons still are like a prime place to go get lost and have to fight your way through, which I think it's, I mean, I'm not gonna go and say that it's a great aspect of the game because I think it's a natural evolution to create more distinct dungeons. I don't think that's necessarily something that I'm like, oh, I want to see that so badly. But I think that the way that the dungeons are laid out and that sort of random feeling that they have, it makes it, they're just, it's just a fun track. It's a fun romp through the dungeons. It feels more about protecting your hearts than figuring out elaborate puzzles. And I'm not a huge puzzle person. So the aspect of challenging me to fight through hordes of enemies uh, just so I can push a block and to not lose all of my hearts and to survive until the boss, I think, I really enjoy that challenge. And I enjoy that challenge a bit more than having to puzzle my way out of things. I like how quickly you move through the game. It has such great pacing. And I think part of it is because the dungeons are so combat focused, it's really easy to run from one room to the other. And even if I have to backtrack or go, oh, I have to make my way all the way up there, it's less like, all right, time to run through. And it's more like, all right, time to fight my way through this thing. And it's just something personally that resonates with me. Yeah, I found that um, in regards to the the dungeons themselves, they they contrast well from the overall of the game without necessarily feeling over overtly detached. Kind of much to my earlier remark about how, you know, you you can't necessarily flee from the overworld to the underworld and and expect greater degree of safety because it's absolutely not the case. 
in that sense, it, it kind of encompasses that same sense of each room. You just you really don't know what you're gonna happen across, even the way the enemies just poof in, um, and then you see them, and then your <laughs> your your heart stops for a second because you're just like you have to, you're telling me I have to deal with this now is is uh, is a great sensation, um, and all the while, you know, especially as the dungeons go on and more of them start you know having bombable walls uh, as part of trying to understand them and and learn them uh which is it works out a lot better than i expected it to it's uh it just feels it feels fantastic just moving through these locations and slowly being able to map them out and i never thought i'd have such a like uh get like such a good feeling of like uh catharsis from picking up the dungeon map but it really makes all the difference in that world and it feels like that proper halfway point when you when you finally come across it that then everything finally starts to make sense uh, then it's a matter of simply going where you haven't and finding out how to get there while dealing with the challenge that's in front of you. I think it makes it makes for such a good contrast to the overworld in that sense, and that and that plays such a big part in it, the way that it is more focused and more linear in the sense that there is a you know set path upon which to get there. Um, but the way that you find it out feels like a complete mystery. it's it's uh, it's it's demonstrated really well just through all of the game's dungeons there's really and it's it's you know even the harder it gets in the terms of navigating it i'm still you know i was still surprised just how like how none of it felt arbitrary none of it felt like cheap shots again apart apart from one instance one or two instances in level eight even the even for how complex level nine was i the the real challenge of that had far more to do with the fact that I was trying to, you have to endure so much as you're moving through the dungeon, but it was a lot less cheap than I had, I had uh, originally had thought it to be coming back to it. And I just think that like, especially just pushing, pushing through the dungeon, especially if you fail a couple times. And I it definitely, this the last dungeon especially took me many attempts to get through that sensation of finally getting back up to where you left off and then finally making those new discoveries that you needed to progress the rest of the way and then completing the dungeon and in that case completing the game it's just uh that's a that's an unmatched uh, sensation to experience a, a real sense of, of accomplishment in that sense which is uh what you know a lot of original games really set out to do and and it's it's demonstrated so well in this game yeah i think it's a great final dungeon i'm gonna keep tabs on that the rest of the way through because even right now, I'm trying to think of a final dungeon that does in the series that does what this this game does. Um, and, you know, we'll take a look at that moving forward. But, you know, it's not it's not a retread of anything that you've done before. It's a completely unique experience. They throw a lot of like bosses you fought at you, but it's not there's not really any fanfare to it. It's just kind of like it's so interesting in this game to see a creature that was like the boss at the end of a dungeon. Now, oh, we've got three of them in one room. And that's just, you know, that's just what the game throws at you. I think it's really cool that they, even though they didn't, you know, even though they're called like level one, two and three and stuff, um, they have like different creatures that they're all supposed to resemble in the design of their maps, um, which I think is like really unique and interesting. Like every time you get the map in level nine and you see the skull, and even though, like, every time I remember it's a skull and then every time I get the map, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so huge. And it's yeah. kind of overwhelming. Um, I really like that aspect of the design. I like that you can't you kind of in some ways can't really tell how you get from one way to the other. I like that the game up until, well, the whole time you have the map and then you can finally see it. 
but it also has your own map of where you've been and it keeps track of both of those things. It would have been so easy for the game to not let you see that at all and not see where you've been and just give you like no map you fill out on your own or when you get the map that it doesn't show you where you haven't been. So I like the way that you can like look over and you can compare and you look at say like the shape of the monster's face like okay this is a dragon and I'm missing the nose of the dragon. Um, and the way that you can compare your maps, I think, is really, really smart. And the placement and the time, you know, like the dungeon map is a real prize, not just like kind of a wasted stock item, which is great. I kind of wish that the world map, that the overworld allowed you to fill it out as well, um, rather than just showing like where Link is on the radar. And I think part of that is maybe one, it might have just been screen space and the way that they had to do it. Um, and it also might be that they just wanted us to draw out the map ourselves, but I definitely, I think that I would have really enjoyed that if I had been able to see my map and see it fill out to some degree or have some way to unlock like a world map, um, I think would have been really cool. I think that there's more that this game could do world building wise, um, especially just kind of getting to know the inhabitants of the world, um, having some sort of town or even like a remnant, like ruins of like Hyrule castle or what this place used to be versus like it just being sort of like this wilderness, um, which I'm sure a good deal of that really just has to deal with, um, just has to deal with hardware limitations and, you know, team uh, limitations, but I think that that's something that you could say that, um, you know, the people say the same thing to you every time. And most of the people, you know, they don't really have anything to say other than just like hints. So they feel very, the NPCs, they're very useful, but they're definitely very gamey. Um, yeah. it's great to get information sometimes in the early going, opening an unlocked door only to find an old man tell you something. It's a little disappointing sometimes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's not, you know, I mean, the information they tell you, it's only when you know the information already that you're like, well, that was a waste of a key, <laughs> but it's yeah. not too bad. Yeah. So on the whole, it's, it's something we'll see. We'll continually see addressed more as the uh, series goes on um, for a series start. It's definitely something that distinguishes the game uh, more from the others uh, for better and worse in this regard. It might be something that, you might want that sense of uh, safety or familiarity and being able to uh, talk to people in that sense. And so it uh, it does definitely add to the world in that sense, um, but it makes it kind of a, a weird game, a weird game in, in a way as well. I think that this game is pretty small and it's pretty simple, especially by modern standards. I think the nice thing about it being such a compact experience is that the game can allow you to make mistakes and go to places where you shouldn't, but it doesn't feel horribly punishing. If this game was way bigger, I might have a little less tolerance for going somewhere and then finding out, oh, I need this thing or these monsters are really tough and whatnot and not having enough guidance. This game is such a small, like kind of insulated experience that you can have a lot of trial and error with it, but it feels more like experimentation than frustration. Oh yeah. Um, which I think is, is great. It doesn't have to be very clear because of the type of thing that it's trying to be. 
Um, there's only so many ways you can interact with the world. There's so many things you can do. So you don't have to hunt super far to find a solution to your problem. And if something isn't working, it's usually that you're just missing something and then you'll find somebody who tells you what the weakness is and you're going to find answers within the game itself. Um, it, the game allows you to decide if you want things or you don't want things. Again, I didn't, my whole first, my most recent playthrough, I played the game three times, my second playthrough recently, I played the whole game without upgrading my shield. Because I kept thinking, I knew like legs could eat your shield. And I was like, well, they'll eat my little shield. And then I have to go buy another one or something. And I just totally forgot that you can upgrade your shield. <laughs> I think that helped me get really good at the game because I can dodge like a mofo in this game. Because <laughs> I'm just used to like not having a shield. And that's something that, I don't know, it could have hampered my experience. And sure, you know, like... Would it be cool to find the shield in the dungeon or like have somebody tell me I need the shield or whatever? But I like that the game doesn't force me to say upgrade my shield to solve a puzzle in a dungeon. When it comes to getting stronger, the game doesn't force any of that on you for any sort of progression. It for the most part, it's not like, OK, you got to upgrade, you know, your little wand and add fire to it because you're going to need to solve a fire puzzle. So you have no choice but to upgrade your wand to the fire wand and you have to use it on these enemies and whatnot. The game gives you a lot of freedom in that way. So, you know, it's not even about artificially introducing difficulty, which you can and people have been doing three hard Zelda runs and swordless runs and all kinds of stuff for as long as these games have been around. But it's also so much as like you could just not know about those things or not realize those things and create a harder game for yourself. But I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. I had fun running around without these upgrades. And then when I did another playthrough and I outfitted myself to be as powerful as possible, that, you know, that was its own, you know, different sort of fun. And so I just appreciate that the game really doesn't force power on you if you don't want it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you can also beat dungeons without a lot of stuff. Which yeah. <laughs> I managed to beat level eight both times, even knowing that I was going to get the lion key, which was the only reason I went to level eight so early in my third playthrough. Both times I played it, I beat it without finding the dungeon map or without finding the lion key. I just like stumbled upon, you know, there are multiple dungeons I would just play through and I'd be like, oh, there's the boss. I guess I'll kill it and just come back in and loot the rest of it later. And I really enjoy that aspect of it. They're really free flowing and you can like all of a sudden like find yourself in some different situation and go, oh, well, that's cool. And then you can go back in. There's totally replayability of these dungeons. There's a good chance that you might miss an item or an upgrade or some kind of hint that's been buried in these dungeons. And so I think there's a part of it that makes the dungeons feel like a living, breathing part of the world because there's a good reason to go back in them most of the time. And there's a lot of fulfillment, just the filling out the map and seeing everything there is to see in them. Yeah, definitely. I of the things that probably surprised me most about it, Ian, I I just it's it's just such an incredibly cohesive game. Kind of going off what you said about the compact nature of it, it it really it plays a big part in in not you know stretching out the amount of things that you as the player need to keep in mind. Just the fact that the you know game makes it pretty clear. It's like, okay, there are eight dungeons that have the Triforce shards, and there's a final dungeon, and you need all the Triforce shards for that. That that alone, you know, lets you know it's like, okay, there's already there's already a finite amount 
of of dungeons to take on like to find and take on uh and find something in let alone everything you find in the under in the overworld around those dungeons you know that as you said you know there's it's not you know it's not stretching your brain so hard but then at the same time as you know as the dungeons contrast again into the overworld where they're they feel more again not not so much samey per se that they have less uh, iconography going for them in that sense except for well except for the dungeon map the you know the shape of the map itself uh which is probably the most interesting parts of them that distinguish them it's still just it's just a very it's a very cohesive game in the way everything comes together even from just the smallest details to like how you how you deal with combat to to some degree you, you mentioned not having the magical shield and even think about it in in my playthrough where i did pick that up uh as soon as i could just in time for for dungeon six even even trying to go head on in combat against Wizrobes, which are the main enemies you'll be dealing with that you you want that the magical shield for, it's it, it's almost a, like you know it's almost a better idea to not even bring the idea of trying to block into question. In regards to that, blue Wizrobes in particular are, are pretty relentless in the way they assault you. That you almost fight them like you know dark nuts on crack more than anything. That you want yes. to try to you don't you never yes. really take them head on. And even red Rizwobes, for as simple as they are, are almost never in isolation in which, and that you take the same approach that you never, you see where they're facing and you just get out of the way. You know you have your shield and if you're confident in using it, it's one thing, but even just how you how you deal with that without that tool, the game does provide a lot of great alternatives in that sense. And if you if you really have no patience for dark nuts and you don't mind expending bombs, drop a bunch of bombs on them. And uh, and it's it's pretty satisfying. It's, it's expensive to do because... But it's just you know the alternatives that are that are there. It's awesome, and it's just uh, the the options that the game gives you in that regard to deal with things. It's that knowledge that you further equip yourself more and more with that allows you to to you know in the player's eyes circumvent what the game allows you to do, while the game knowingly kind of gives you options to to do that in the first place. And it and it really it just it really makes for a very satisfying experience in that sense. So. Kind of wrapping it up here. So what to us is the most memorable, you know, what to you is the most memorable part of the experience of playing this game? I would say uh, the two particular aspects to me, I mean, uh, level level nine on its own right is very memorable, but I'll get to the, the other part. I talked about it a little bit earlier, but just the the intuition and finding secrets um a lot of them are a good number of them are alluded to in the game in some form or another um many others are just in mysterious places um but i was just surprised in thinking it was very gamey logic and it's you know one that like if you're a newcomer to video games period you really may not think of it as much but um just as someone who's been playing games for a long time and both trying to go off of both memorization and and um you know just kind of the sense i had about how these were like laid out often i was surprised on how much uh where i attempted to find secrets yielded results um that really really stuck on my mind that the game really wasn't as arbitrary as i thought it was it, it has its moments here and there but it's really you know it really changed my view on the game a lot to see that the game really did respect the player's intuition as far as how they tried to go after different secrets they you know a lot of the most important secrets in particular are not really held up in arbitrary places at all they're they're in places that are like oh you know i guess that makes sense you know the ones that deal with bush burning more than anything are probably a little on the rougher side 
But you're also, compared to having to use bombs on walls, it's far less punishing to at least try. And so I really... I, I really like that aspect a lot. I really I, when I went back to check a guide later after I beat the game just to see where a lot of stuff was located, I, I was astounded on how much I still missed <laughs> at the end of the day, um, which is a testament to just how much is hit it was packed away. Um, but just that I managed to find you know all the extra heart containers on you know my first playthrough. I was just like, oh, that's that's it. That's awesome. And uh, I really like that aspect a lot. And then as far as uh, level nine goes. Um, it's, it's a, it's a fairly distinctly different dungeon. I used to, in my memory, be like, remember that I was like, oh, there's like 50 million stairways. This is just impossible. There's no way. Uh, but coming back to it, the, the dungeon, the dungeon is very clearly broken up into, into segments, which considering how, how incredibly challenging it is, it's, it's really nice, especially because the game remembers what pieces of the map that you've at least written out yourself in the game as you progress. It is awesome to have seen that just be like oh this is just in several big segments and i really just need to make sure i find the silver arrows before i go to take on again in morning anything there is another there's the optional red ring that i <laughs> even though i discovered the whole map i inadvertently end up missing anyway but i decided since i was already two-thirds into the dungeon i was like I'm, I'm getting this done i i really i just i really liked how it was handled i you know i was expecting a lot worse in that regards and it is it's still a, it's a huge dungeon like don't you know don't get me wrong there on that but it uh, feels really well compartmentalized, and there's a good deal of traps and seeming, uh, it's like seemingly like trap rooms that are kind of hanging around that actually lead to more interesting things, you know, as you keep looking into it. So I, I love that. I love the whole experience of level nine. So what do, what do you remember, uh, remember most from playing this game? The game over screen, probably. <laughs> um, it's a good tune. Yeah, really used to that music. Um, you know, what it feels like to get a dungeon map. But uh, listening to you talk, also thinking about um, probably just the way it feels. First off, it's hilarious to play a game like this and experience like frame rate drops because it can't handle the enemies in the room. <laughs> uh, I was like, I was like, I don't remember this being a thing, but I guess it is. Um, I, I, I was that person playing this game that if the, if, even if I could, uh, for the most part, my third playthrough, I finally kind of laid off a little bit, but even if I didn't have to kill all the enemies in the room, even after I got the lion key and I didn't need to kill enemies for keys, I still got everything. Cause I just, I love the feeling when the game throws me into a room full of blue dark nuts and like closes the door behind me. And there's like all this stuff coming at me. It's something that I used to hate about this game. I didn't like the combat at all. I just thought it was so hard and it just felt really tedious. And then I kind of like unlocked like another level of myself, like playing this <laughs> game. Um, and I just, I just have so much fun. I just feel, I mean, I feel like kind of like a Jedi Knight, just like flying around, like doing all <laughs> kinds of stuff, like poking and prodding like enemies and even that like four directional movement, I kind of like because you really can kind of predict what enemies are going to do. Um, I was playing this game I, when I first started playing this this time. I was at home and I was playing it on the big screen and uh, we had some friends uh, come over and they they saw me playing it before I turned it off. And a couple of them were like, oh my gosh, they're like, I've never seen someone play the original Legend of Zelda so well. And I don't really <laughs> think that I'm great at it, but I was like, I guess so. 
I was doing like nonsense stuff early on. I was probably in like the third dungeon. I was messing with dark nuts and doing all kinds of things. So I don't know. The game trained me how to be good at it. And I kind of like when I was just like looking for something to do in the past few days, I would just open it up and go in the overworld and just like kill stuff. I don't know. I find it very relaxing and it feels really rewarding to get through a room of enemies and, you know, only lose a couple of hearts or maybe gain some, you know, to like go through something and not take a hit um, fighting bosses and whatnot. You know, just the way that the game feels and challenges you and is so, you know, straight up combat focused. I actually really ended up it was something that I never expected to love about this game. And it ended up being one of my favorite parts was just how it feels to fight and how it feels to cut it up. Yeah, it's kind of like a uh, the, the comparison in my mind is like the mix between you know, like a old school space shooter and like a fighting game in that sense. You kind of you kind of read the you see projectiles flying around the way like a space shooter. But then the way you when you see like the composition of the enemies on the screen, you're immediately like, OK, these guys move like this and can't be hit like this or can only be damaged like this while these guys have to be dealt like this and you immediately you almost like see a grid kind of light up when you're looking at it i mean literally because it's laid out like that too and the enemies can only move in that fashion um i yeah i really liked i'm with you on that that i really like the way that combat is handled it's it's incredibly visceral it's very tangible in that sense because you just you immediately understand and you start moving the way you need to move for it. It's- yeah, it's definitely very frustrating when you first start playing the game and it can feel really archaic and really old school, but I definitely just got to a point where I had a lot of fun with it. And there are certain things that Tyler is very good at these types of things. And I've never been like, I don't really think of myself as great at top down Zelda, but it would always feel really good when he's like, oh, I just skipped past that room. And I was like, oh, I tore it up. And yeah, so it, it, I don't know, just getting keys and killing stuff. Good times. Yeah, very good times. Next episode, we'll take on Zelda 2 Adventure of Link. What will the black sheep of the franchise teach us? And will it break us? We'll see. Catch us next time on Retro Perspective.